Welcome back to the newsroom, everybody. This is Dr. Joe Armstrong. And as promised, we're back to finish our conversation with Jen Bentley, CAF expert from Iowa State. We will pick it up right from where we left off. We're discussing all the things you need to do in your CAF barn to be successful and hit the benchmarks that we listed and discussed in our last episode. If you haven't listened to the last episode, please go back and do so. It'll make a lot more sense what we're talking about in this one. Thank you for listening. Let's jump in. We talked about classroom. That's the, the best thing you can do for these calves uh, overall. If you're not making sure that's right, the rest of it is so much less important. You got to get that right first. Let's stay on that management trend and say, okay, what, what else should I be doing in my calf barn for these calves to really make sure that they succeed? Yeah, that's a really good question because our dairy farms are not cookie cutters, right? So all these, these calves are not going to move in the same facility. So we can't, we can't recommend one ventilation system. We can't recommend one type of barn design because farmers like to do, you know, what they're going to do. So we have to work around how they like to manage their operations. So, you know, ventilation is critical no matter what type of facility we're moving into. So always taking a look at that, whether that's going into a new facility or we're uh, maybe we've retrofitted a facility and it's never had calves in it before. And now, you know, here we are putting, you know, 20, 30 calves in there and we have all kinds of pneumonia issues. They're not growing right. So you got to take a look at what can we do to improve the air quality in those barns. So making sure they have adequate space. Um, so, you know, for dealing with automatic calf feeders or individual pens, I like to say making sure we have at least 40 square feet per calf for those calves. And, you know, if we're dealing with some type of retrofit facility where they maybe it has a lower ceiling height and that means we got to give them more space down below because air quality is probably going to be a little bit less. So uh, giving them more space in those types of situations or improving that ventilation uh, within that calf barn even, even more. Uh, taking a look at bedding, particularly, you know, if coming into winter time, making sure that that's dry. Uh, how are they getting nestled into their bedding? Are they able to nestle into that bedding without getting wet? Do they have calf jackets on? Can we get the moisture away from those calves? So is there a drainage within those pens that we can, you know, allow them to be dry? What other things am I missing? Uh, nutrition. Nutrition, yes. So, we, so this is one that we debate constantly, uh, and I, I feel like it, it sparks the most arguments for sure about how much you should feed a calf. And I think, you know, looking at different work, uh, whether it's from you or from Sandra Godden here at the University of Minnesota, I feel like I know the answer, but I'd love to hear your take on how much should I be feeding my calves? Well, I think it depends on what type of milk you're feeding your calves, right? because you can tell me you're feeding four quarts two times a day and maybe it's only a 20-20 milk replacer. So is that calf gonna grow the same as a calf that's getting 24% uh, protein? And they're not, because protein is kind of our limiting factor uh, when we're talking about growth. We want them to be able to maximize 
that potential for growth and that potential for milk production later on. So we have to feed them uh, like we want them to respond in the milking string. So I think taking a look at what you're feeding, looking at that nutrition label, and depending on what your goals are for the farm, um, be able to correlate that back to the growth of your animals. So I would just really caution people to, to be using a 2020 milk replacer at this point. There's just so much data out there right now showing the, the potential for increased milk production by uh, intensifying that plane of nutrition. Because when we take a look at comparing that to a whole milk, that milk replacer is going to have to sit closer to a 26% protein to get that close to feeding mom's milk, right? So we got to start looking at that to make any advances into, into our milk production. So the, the other thing that goes along with that, and, and this is where I see if I can convince someone to get to 24, 20 or 26, 20 and feed three quarts, three times a day or a gallon twice a day, I still can't a lot of the times convince them to do the same thing with their bull calves. And that's frustrating to me because it's like we forget all of this information that benefits these heifer calves and improves their lifetime performance. But we forget that, that there's no way that doesn't apply also to the bull calves. And if you want to sell high quality bull calves into the feedlot system, it's worth investing in them up front. Is that something you see uh, as well, Jen? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's probably kind of a, maybe it's hard for them to realize the value of their return on, you know, that increased cost of milk replacer, because it is an expensive part of the operation, feeding that higher quality milk replacer. So they got to see some value back, but uh, hopefully in return, they're going to see that they have a higher quality animal. They have growth, growth rate animals coming out of the barn. And uh, eventually that's going to be a, a big return to them. Yeah, I, I think that's where it is. And it, it builds your reputation. It allows you to get a higher price because people know and they see that performance of your animal coming out of your place. So I think the, the value is there, but getting getting started is the, is the hardest part because it is, it is a substantial investment up front. Big thing to note, and, and Emily and Brad will be super happy about this. Nowhere in there did we talk about vaccines. Right. And, and Brad and I argue about vaccines all the time about vaccines and calves, but everything we talked about was management. And I really, really do think that all of these things are more important than any vaccine you give a calf. These things keep a calf healthy. A vaccine is good. And I'm not telling you not to give them. I like vaccines. I'm a veterinarian. I have to, I'm like obligated to love vaccines, but they're not as important as these other things. You got to get this other stuff right. And then vaccines are insurance. So uh, I guess we should briefly talk about vaccines and your stance on vaccines and calves, Jen. Well, I'm not a veterinarian, so I can't give veterinarian advice to vaccines, but I would say they have their place and their, and their role in the dairy operation. And so whether that's looking at um, you know, vaccinations for your dry off program and your pre-fresh animals that you know, making sure that they're timely so that that cow can develop those maternal antibodies that eventually go into the classroom that you're feeding the calves. That's pretty critical uh, because, you know, if you're not vaccinating timely, you're kind of just wasting that money, right? Because it's not getting into the classroom. So from that standpoint, I think that's pretty critical is making sure you're working with your veterinarian to, to make sure you got the right ones at the right place 
uh, during that time frame. As far as calves go, again, it's it's going to be so herd specific. You really have to know what's going on with your herd as far as what diseases are on your farm and what preventative measures you want to take. Um, you know, obviously there's from the colostrum standpoint, there's maternal antibodies that are going to help fight off diseases early on. But as that those maternal antibodies kind of wane and decrease, that calf is going to have to start defending on their own. And that's, you know, where we see that placement of vaccines really take take a stance in in the health management of those calves. Couldn't have said it better myself. Wonderful work with your veterinarian is the key in there. I love I love that I got someone to admit that on this podcast. <laughs> Wonderful deal. All right, let's move on to what Bradley really, really wants to talk about. He wants to talk about automatic calf feeders. And for me, the, my first question before we really jump into this and what Bradley wants to, to take the lead on would be, do all of these benchmark numbers that we've been talking about, do they transfer really well over to uh, an automated calf feeder? So like if I go from individual pens and bottles or group pens and, and, and mob feeders to an automated calf barn, are my benchmarks pretty much the same? I would say yes, but does Brad have a different opinion? <laughs> Okay. He's shaking his head no. So, um, and typically when a producer is making a decision about going to an automatic calf feeder, really having a conversation about some of these benchmarks is probably the first conversation you want to have. Could because if you if you don't have these, um, you know, your classroom management program in place and the cleanliness in place, uh, you really are kind of setting yourself up maybe for a train wreck when you get into a group housing situation. So most definitely, I think these benchmarks apply. Yeah, that's perfect because I've seen those train wrecks and I I don't know where the, the confusion is to, to be like the, the automatic calf feeder is just the solution to make everything better. And somehow it replaces management, which we talk on this show all the time that you can't do that. Technology doesn't replace basic management. I've seen that train wreck a lot. And, and, and that's kind of my point in asking that question is that we, you have to keep these numbers in mind. You got to get everything straight. And then you, can, then you can move on to something like this and expect it to improve your, your operation. Otherwise, it's going to be a, a nightmare and of trying to chase down and put out fires everywhere. But Jen, what are some of the good things about automatic calf feeders and why people should consider going to them? Well, I think a lot of people... Um, like to consider them because they wanna be able to raise better calves and not saying that you can't raise better calves individually or mob feeding or, you know, there's definitely good ways of raising calves no matter what management system you have, but sometimes it kind of boils down to labor efficiency. You know, you still have the same employee feeding the calves, but now instead of them having to haul pails out to the calf hutches, they're actually observing the animals and watching the behavior of the animals. They're watching more of the health signs of the animals. And maybe they're just a little bit more uh, in tune with what the calves are doing versus just trying to get the chores done, right? So uh, I think some of that is labor efficiency and improving working conditions. Um, you know, we had what, 40, 50, almost 80 mile an hour winds the last couple of days. So who likes to be out feeding calves uh, in 80 mile an hour winds? everybody's shaking their heads. So yeah, um, I wouldn't either. So, you know, obviously for the employee, if you have a happy employee, they're probably going to do a better job. 
And it also allows you to provide more milk to those calves without really increasing labor. So especially this time of year when it's cold, and we talk about trying to feed more milk to those calves, we say, oh, feed three times a day. Well, if you're in hutches, who wants to be out there three, four times a day feeding milk, right? Well, it's a lot easier for somebody, you know, in an automatic calf feeding system to feed multiple times because those calves are going to come up to that feeder six, eight times. I like the way that you put that with the labor efficiency because that's what it really is. It's not just labor. It's not going to save you labor overall, but it's going to make you more efficient with the labor you do have. That's a big point. And Brad talks about that all the time. And that's, that's why some of these robotics and sensors are the same way. It's labor efficiency. And I, I love that, that you put it that way. Yeah, we did some survey work early on and we actually thought the labor was going to uh, decrease when we asked the producers, you know, what your labor was before you implemented automatic calf feeders and what your labor was afterwards. And it really didn't change. So I, I was actually surprised by that. But now after seeing automatic feeders be in for so many years now, I can see that. There's some pretty loud opinions uh, in the industry about how many calves should we be putting on these automatic feeders to, to be successful and truly see these benchmarking points that we see. And, and to hit those points, how many calves can we really put on each nipple? How do you see that play out, Jen? I think early on, we were seeing a lot of calves on one nipple. I think we were just trying to get calves on and just packing them in, right? I think we were seeing 30 plus animals on one nipple. And I think we were seeing a lot of issues, but as we learned how these feeders work and learned about competition around the feeder, just like we do competition around robots, you know, older calves versus younger calves. And maybe this is, Brad, I think this is Marcia's data, right? That they kind of came to the conclusion of closer to that 20, 20 calves per nipple right. feeder. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And that, that takes into account, you know, animal health, bedding, labor, all of those factors that kind of settles around 20, even though maybe some companies and others say, well, you should put 25, you know, 25 is, is kind of what I've heard about the max doing, but that, that's pushing it. I think the, the frustration from the producer side early on was that they were told they could put a certain number of calves in, in a barn with an automated feeding system. And when you come in and you say, okay, well, actually you've got to cut 25% of those calves out of this barn to make it work. All they're seeing is the amount of time to pay this thing off just increased dramatically. And, and that's a hard thing to do. So to me, I think we got, you know, a little bit of the cart ahead of the horse. And, and, and I, I think that no one's really guilty in, in this. I'm not going to point any fingers, but when you're told one thing and you're said you can you can go ahead and put 25 calves per nipple in this barn that's going to work great and and really you should only be putting 20 or 15 to 20 then i mean that's a huge difference in the investment itself and that's where i think a lot of the fr the frustration came from and it certainly was my frustration because every time you took a calf off that automated feeder it it just increased the time before it was paid off so when we talk about nutrition on automatic calf feeders, what, what do we see out there? What's the recommendation? You know, how much should we be feeding on the auto feeders? How much per feeding? 
what what are those uh, benchmarks for for that process? Well, and Brad, maybe you have numbers here too, but when we surveyed our producers, um, they were getting about 140 to 150 grams of powder per liter each time they were going up there and feeding up to 12 liters per day. Most of them are probably averaging eight, nine liters, but some are maxing out at 12. I know some herds probably go even up a little bit higher, but um, that's kind of where we're seeing seeing that. Is that what you're seeing with herds that you work with too? Yeah, usually around the same amounts of feeding, eight, nine liters. There is a contingent that are starting to think about ad lib feeding and just letting them drink as much as possible. And there's a lot of pluses and minuses about that. Even when you think about eight or nine liters per calf, I think about weaning process, you know, weaning is uh, an issue. You know, I was at this calf conference a couple months ago, and a lot of the talk was about weaning and how do we wean calves off of high milk allowances and what does weaning look like? Weaning is a is an issue that we need to do more research with and think about more. The, the days of cold turkey weaning, uh, you know, I, and I still do that at Morris. We still do that here and some people like it and some people don't. And so it's uh, weaning is a, a thought that I have and how to do that, especially on auto feeders. Yeah. And I would say, you know, we talked about the grams of powder, but making sure we're not underfeeding those calves and auto feeders either because then then we run into suckling issues and and typically when I hear of a herd or a farm that has having issues with suckling it's because the nutrition is lacking or you know they don't have the calibration right on the auto feeder so if they go back and maybe they have to recalibrate or the the powder hopper was plugged so you know they're not getting as much powder into the milk so that's reducing the density of the milk going into the calves that causes a lot of nutritional issues with the calves so just kind of making sure maintenance things are being kept up to date on that and making sure we're feeding those calves for their best potential when they're in those so we're not seeing those suckling issues and then like you said Brad with the with the weaning issues you know I think a lot of herds are looking at some type of step down process where they're kind of over a course of seven to 14 days reducing the amount of powder that's going through those calves so that when they get to that last uh, eight weeks or the last week before they're going to wean you know they've kind of started to increase in calf starter before you really take them off. Brad, at one point, I think you and I were talking up at Morris about how much milk some of these calves drink at one time. And it's pretty astounding to me. Like some of these calves will come up and drink a ton of milk at one feeding. Yeah, if you let them, some of our calves, they'll max that out at nine liters and they'll drink nine liters at a time if you allow them. So they're slug feeding at certain times. They, you know, they may feed themselves just twice a day and they drink nine liters at a time. So Every calf is different. Calf behavior is is really different on an auto feeder compared to when you're, you know, manually feeding them in a super hutch or individual hutch. That's amazing that they they can drink that all at once and they're still healthy. That's the key, right? Like they don't have any issues with that. They're still healthy calves. Right. They're still healthy. Still healthy. Well, you you know, some of these calves that we've weaned off the feeder at nine weeks of age are drinking 23, 24 liters of milk during the day. So that, that's a lot. That's, that's a lot of milk. How big are those calves? 
Uh, we've weaned a few off the auto feeder at 375 pounds when they're drinking ad lib. So yeah, you, you can do it. it. There's a big cost behind that. You know, we don't talk about economics and a lot of these things, but uh, yeah, that's not, that's, I should say, that's not the average calf. You know, you get these outliers that are just big monsters and they'll keep drinking as much milk as they can. So if you allow them to drink uh, as much as they want, they will. You know, one thing that I don't think, you know, we kind of talk about it in, you know, manual feeding or individual feeding, group housing, but it's cleaning and sanitation. What What's your recommendations, Jen, for cleaning uh, of a feeder or sanitation? How do we deal with that? That's one thing that sort of gets lost in the shuffle, I think, in a lot of things with automatic feeders. Well, I think if you think it's clean, clean it again, right? Because <laughs> the bugs are just everywhere. You just can't see them. So the routine maintenance of all the hoses and the, the powder box, you know, everything that basically anything that water and powder moves through, we have to make sure we're up on our maintenance requirements. And I thought, I think a lot of our equipment dealers now, you know, early on when we had automatic calf feeders, nobody really knew much about the process of these feeders. And it was a learning curve for everybody. And now we have a lot of producers using them. We have more equipment dealers that are you know, more comfortable using them. So they are setting up some really good routine maintenance programs. You know, what's your daily routine for cleaning? What's your three month, six month routines to clean the, the nipples, um, the hoses? And, you know, we're seeing some, in, some technology improvements with just even sanitizing the nipples uh, between each calf. There's companies now that, you know, every time a calf comes up, drinks, leaves its station, it's, you know, sanitizing a little bit. So we're continually seeing some improvements in the cleanliness, but I think that's always, that's always an issue is what is, what is our protocol? I can't agree with you more. I, cleaning is the number one thing. Usually if you have a problem in an automatic feeder with scours or something else, it usually goes back to cleaning and you know, if there's biofilms or whatever somewhere on uh, hoses, nipples, you you name it, they can be big problems. I think we've thrown out a lot of information and we've covered a lot. If you'd be willing to come back, that'd be great. Sure. Okay. I can All do right. that. Yep. And we'll ask the same two questions up front. That is against podcast policy. Oh, okay. Although the uh, first question, the correct answer is Herford. Yeah. If you oh. want to come back and answer her for the next time, that's fine, I guess. No, no. <laughs> now I know. <laughs> I'm trying to maintain some integrity here. A little but. bit. Yeah. Brad and I are way past that. All right. I think we've thrown enough at everybody today. That's a lot to think about. We covered benchmarking data. We covered automatic calf feeders, all these different things. We're, we're going to try to get Jen to come back again in the future. So hopefully not the last time you hear from her on this show. Thank you for being here today, Jen. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it was fun being with you and uh, appreciate being a part of the Minnesota Extension podcast. This was fun. Yeah, absolutely. And wrap us up. If you have questions, comments, or scathing rebuttals about today's episodes or any of our episodes, you can email those to themoosroom at umn.edu. S-T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. Find us on Twitter at UMN Moosroom and at UMN Farm Safety. 
Find Bradley on Instagram at UMNWCROCDairy. You can also visit us on our website, extension.umn.edu. You can find the CAF information on our Extension Dairy Team website. So if you go out and search Iowa State University Extension and Outreach Dairy Team, Calves and Heifers, we got a page full of resources there. I will make sure that's linked down in the notes. So look for it there. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> the only two parameters are Herford and Jersey. Oh, that's it. Okay. Always you can talk about whatever you want. Jersey. Thank you.